Hello, everybody, and welcome, welcome, welcome. We are back here once again at the In the Numbers podcast, formerly the Real Steamy podcast. We are excited that all of you are here for us. Today, we have a very special guest, and we're excited to talk about that. Today's number is 1985. That is the number for today, 1985, or as some would call it, 1985, which is the year that Oregon Mesa started. And that is the direction we're going to go in today's conversation. I'm excited for everybody. Let's give a big round of applause to our special guest today. You know, we always like to bring on doctors. And when folks are <laughs> doctors, always say they're, they're, they're honorific because that's just how I get down. We're going to bring on Tong Zhang, the executive director at Oregon Mesa. Everybody give her a big round of applause. Thank you, Tom, for being with us today. Thank we appreciate having you here. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm so excited to be here. Now, we, we were talking a second ago mm-hmm. about, about names, and I wanted to make sure I pronounced it correctly. And uh, and, and you were saying that uh, that's the way you've said it to people, but that, that may not be the, the actual correct pronunciation of, of your name. And I want to make sure that, that, that we get it right. Yeah. So my name is, uh, so I'm Chinese. I was born in China and uh, my real name is actually Zhang Tongtong. So when I first came over uh, to the U.S. when I was five, obviously the name gets switched. So uh, I feel like how my name got from that to Tong Zhang is sort of like a story of how I've try to survive in the U.S. and, you know, like assimilating and everything. Because in the beginning, you know, my name is actually Tong Tong. That's my first name. And so that got separated out and it became Tong as my first name. Tong is my middle name. And then um, people would say Tong to me. And I was like, no, it's Tong. Nobody could figure out that. And so then um, I was like, okay, fine. I'll just go with Tong. But then Tong Jung sounded funny to my own ears. And so by the time that I was like seven, I became Tong Zeng. So that's a long way of how I went from Jung Tong Tong to becoming Tong Zeng by like age seven or eight. Oh, and that is, that's important to, uh, to talk about as, as we talk about STEM and, and STEAM and those things. There, there is that, that, uh, that plight there where, where, Assimilation matters, and I know a lot of of of, of immigrants often uh, either change their name, and that's there's a long history of of that from a variety of cultures where, you know, essentially, you know, it goes back to all, you know, there's slavery components where people yeah. were forced to change their names, but right. then there were you know Ellis Island where it was like, hey, pick a name, and you know that's how you you got folks to to change their name. There's long histories of of many. Uh, coaches doing that. And it's interesting we have this assimilation uh, piece in America, but a lot of people don't realize that that is a, a journey that folks have to take. You know, you have to constantly, uh, you know, just to even have people say your name is a is a thing. And I get that a bit, even though you look at my name 
It says Jarvis. It seems very easy. Uh-huh. Uh, but definitely with the rise of Marvel Comics, I get Jarvis a lot. So oh. I get that all the time. So uh, they think you're a, hu- as, a superhero. <laughs> yes, which I don't mind that part. You know, you know, I'm I'm I'm, I'm now Vision and all these other things. <laughs> Uh, but that's that's a whole nother story. And then now that uh, we have a, a a more prominence of of Latinx folks, a lot of people mm. think that it's uh, it's Harvez. So I usually get that. So I either get Harvez or Jarvis uh, quite often. I even got some French pronunciations once before. I'm like, how did you get Harvey <laughs> out of Jarvis? But uh, it is a thing, and sometimes it just can be tiring just to correct people. Sometimes it's like, heesh. And then people feel bad, but that's one thing I always try. I may mess up, but at least I'm going to try to get it right uh, as as often as possible. And, of course, it's whatever you say. So if you tell me uh, is, uh, is Tong Zhang or uh, how did you say? Oh, man. Uh, Tong Zhang. Tong Zhang. Yes. Yeah. Now, my accent may be off, but we're going to, we're going to, you know, that, that that's the name we're going to. We're going to get it right. You know, that's 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 one thing I believe in. And I feel so often, especially with, with, with Anna Riverson, when we've seen this, uh, especially during this last presidential election, uh, uh, where, where where people were purposely saying uh, the vice president, you know, then Senator yeah. uh, Kamala Harris's name wrong on purpose uh, and where I don't know if you've seen these this recent reports, I believe it was out of North Carolina at a board meeting where the uh, where the councilman or whatever for that that city refused to acknowledge the honorific of doctor for a black woman, yeah. as well as what we've seen with uh, with the uh, with the first lady, Dr. Jill Biden. People say she's not a real doctor and then that kind of stuff. You know, they're they're often these. I don't even like to call them microaggressions. There are aggressions. Uh, I, I call them more passive aggressions than uh, than microaggressions. But they just try to say these little things just to let you know, hey, maybe you don't belong, or I don't respect you, or all kind of those kind of things. And I'm big on making sure we're we're being inclusive, and 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 uh, and that's why even though people don't like to often use their honorific. In conversations, hey, if you're a doctor, I'm calling you doctor until you yell at me to stop calling you doctor. I really appreciate um, you mentioning all that. The other thing that I always get is that because um, prior to me adding my pronouns to my email, people always would assume that I was male if they had not met me and based on my name. And so I get a lot of Mr. Tong Zangs and a lot of Mr. Zangs um, by, from lots of people. And I think a lot of it has to do with sort of the sexism around assuming that because I'm a doctor, I'm male. Oh, yes. I always have a, when I do equity trainings for, for, for entities, especially around STEM and in science, uh, I, I always give them a scenario where they have to close their eyes and picture, uh, you know, one of their one of their loved ones uh, needing a heart transplant, and they had to go to OHSU and they would get the best heart surgeon there, and they perform the surgery, and the doctor comes out 
and tells them that everything is going to be okay, that their loved one made it through, and that they're going to make a 100% complete recovery. And I tell them to open their eyes, and I ask them, how many picture that doctor being female? Hmm. And a lot of people are like, well, I was like, no, I didn't say anything other than doctor. Mm-hmm. And far too often we we add that uh, we add a a sex to a, a gender to a position and don't realize that that also has connotations to it. So we think male, we think doctor when we think male, you know, it's nurse for female. Right. And think, oh, well, that's just because more men are doctors or more women are nurses. No, it's often that there were barriers in place for females to become doctors. Yeah. And which it, is why a lot of them became nurses historically. I'm curious when you've done that with folks, do you then ask about race? I I sometimes do. Uh, I usually get a lot of of what I what what I usually ask about race is I would ask them how many of you would feel comfortable being in a room of 400 people of a different race. And I tell my story because my first class at Oregon State there were 400 students in the class and I was the only black student. And I was like imagine would you feel comfortable in that space? Not that anybody did anything to you, said anything to you or nothing. You just walked in and there were 400 people of the other race. And if you don't think that that has uh, that has impact on you as a student, you know, as a whatever, you know, usually I talk about uh, that at the Supreme Court. I always loved when Justice Ginsburg talked about, you know, when they asked how many women should could be on the Supreme Court. And she said nine. Had nine men, can we have nine women? You know, could we have 93 black senators? Yes. We have 93 white ones, so why can't we have 93 black ones if everything is legal, if everything is supposedly equal and we're in this post-racial society that everyone claims that we are in? Uh, but I could get talking on that forever. I'm just excited to have you here. <laughs> We, yes. will, well, we may come back to some of this. Yes. We've had some conversations about this uh, in the past. But before I get too deep into that, I first want to do a quick read and say that our episode of In the Numbers podcast is again sponsored by STEM Week Oregon, which is happening May 8th through May 16th. When this is out, we may be right in the middle of STEM Week. So please make sure you go to stemweek.org. STEMOregon.org slash STEMWeek2021 to see all the great things that are going on for STEM Week. Make sure you're checking in on social media using the hashtag, hashtag STEMWeekOregon2021. This is the seventh annual STEM Week Oregon, a statewide movement to raise awareness and celebrate and engage in activities involving science, technology, engineering, arts, and math. This year, STEM Week Oregon is thrilled to partner with Remake Learning Days across America for the first time. There are a variety of daily contests, so please feel free to make sure you're checking in on those. See the calendar. There are plenty of, of great opportunities to get involved and to win plenty of prizes. We're making Monday, take apart Tuesday. What are, you, what are you wondering about Wednesday and more? So once again, please make sure to go to that website, stemoregon.org slash stemweek2021. 
Okay, good, doctor. So we uh, we do want to talk about some really cool things about uh, about what Oregon Mesa is doing. But first, I just got to talk a little bit about your story because it's, it's, it's so remarkable. Um, your first generation, you came came here from China. You decided to go to a college up north uh, and, and wear purple for some reason. Yeah. I'm still not quite understanding that decision. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I have to, have to mess with you as a fellow Pac-12 person. And Washington was the one school that stopped us from going to the, the Rose Bowl uh. my freshman year. We lost. We lost by three out there, uh, right on the right on the water. Uh, that still irks me to this day because I wanted to go to the Rose Bowl. But we had a, we had a good time, uh, and I've always spent some time up at University of Washington. My fraternity cap off side has a house up there, and uh, it's one of the only fraternity houses that we have on the West Coast. So I was up in Seattle a lot. And, uh, hanging out at the Emerald City Step Show, and we used to do some some fun things at University of Washington. So, uh, how was your experience doing that? And then, of course, uh, you matriculated to the East Coast and uh, hung out at, at Johns Hopkins. That's not you know a, a uh, you know that's not a roast beef tech there. That's a that's a <laughs> that's a serious school that you that 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 that, that you went to. There's no correspondence courses in, uh, in in your education here. How was that process for you as in particular as a, as a first generation student? Yeah. So thanks for, I do uh, bleed purple. So yeah, I'm quite proud of being a Husky. Um, I guess I'll, I'll go back. Uh, you and I have spoken a little bit about this. I actually, so I, I moved to the U.S. when I was five and then I moved to Oregon when I was seven and I started school in um, North Clackamas schools. So I've actually been in, I was in Oregon for set for second grade all the way through uh, 12th grade. I graduated from Clackamas High School. Um, in that time, I did a lot of having no idea what I wanted to do in life. Um, but being from um, parents who gave up a lot to come to this country and to really, um, so my dad was an engineer, but when he first came to the U.S., um, you know, he was a postdoc, and uh, and we had very limited means, and we were li- living actually in Maryland and East Coast at that time, and just it was a lot of survival and um, trying to make things like making ends meet and everything. And we moved over to Oregon. I always felt that amount of pressure to like, not necessarily to be, my parents actually never said like, oh, you have to be an engineer. You have to be a doctor. They were just like, you have to do well. <laughs> you have to succeed in this, like in, in whatever you do. And you have to just do really, really well. And so then I was like really panicked when I was in high school and didn't know what I was going to do and everything I was interested in. I'll be really honest. I didn't think it was going to be paying very well in the future. I was like, oh, maybe I could be, um, I could, uh, I actually thought that I could do like psychiatry, which sounds like it pays well, but then you have to be, and I knew like you'd have to be in like school for a really long time. I couldn't figure out how I would be able to pay for like medical school and all that kind of stuff. And so anyway, I kind of ended up in sciences because that's what I like ended up doing better in and in school. And then I actually got an, uh, uh, internships through Saturday Academy, the apprenticeships in science and engineering. I ended up working in a lab 
And it was actually kind of interesting. And I was like, I guess I'll do this. Um, and that's how I ended up applying to college at UW and deciding to do biochemistry. And again, that choice was like a, I don't really know what else I am supposed to do, but I know that, you know, doing sciences probably will put me ahead and be able to be, give me a lot of options in the future. So I'm just going to go with that. I do. I do. I do like that. You know, I don't know what I want to do. Let me pick one of the hardest things. Well, I, did, I didn't. Well, that was my thinking. Literally, Jarvis, that was my thinking was like, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I know I have to do well. And I know that that's like twisted, but that's really the way that I've operated my life is like, I don't really know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to do the best that I can. So at you, yes, I got to give it to you because I know my friend. This this it, this lets me know I was hanging around. I might have been hanging around some of the wrong people, but like everybody I knew were like, "Yeah, we're gonna be doctors." And we're gonna, the, the the two classes that that let them know that whether or not they could really go into the program was the first uh, OChem, the first organic chemistry class, and the first biochem class. And, and, and they're like, "Oh man, I, I'm gonna be a doctor." And they took that that biochem, and they're like, "Ooh, <laughs> maybe I need to maybe I need to do something else." Uh, but you're like, "You know what? I'm bored. You know what? Let's just take organic chem, let's take biochemistry, unless unless uh, unless see about okay. that." No, that is that is really cool. But keep going. I, I just thought that no, was I... hilarious. See, I was bored. I was in I was in. Uh, well, I started out in business, and then I went to. Um, uh, undecided, and then went back to business. Like most people start out undecided. You like, well, I'm gonna go pick this hard one and do. Uh, uh, but go, go ahead, go ahead. No, finish, I appreciate you bringing that up. I, here, I'm being really honest. Here, I was terrible in chemistry. Like, I legitimately had one chemistry class in high school, and I did not so well on that. And um, I chose biochemistry because I was like, oh, I I need to do my best, and I that's one of the hardest major majors they had at in college. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to go for it. And I didn't, I did end up doing okay, but I did my worst in my chemistry classes. And I took four years of chemistry. I was not good in organic chemistry. (laughs) I did better actually in physical chemistry, but um, yeah, it was, it, it was again, another, like, I think this like huge pressure that I placed on myself to do well, because I was like, you know, my parents came to this country. They like, you know, they, it would, you know, I saw my mom struggle a lot, um, as, um, a new immigrant who didn't speak English very well. And she had like a lot of odd and jobs. And my dad was able to progress in his field, but you know, it was just a lot of pressure to feel like, okay, you know, I have to be able to make a living for myself and be able to be some sort of success in the future. Um, And so when I was in college, I started working in labs and that's when I started thinking, realizing that, I don't know if all the people know this, but if you're in the biomedical fields, they pay you to go to grad school. So you don't have to pay to be in grad school. You get a stipend when you're in grad school. And so I went to grad school, being perfectly honest here, because I didn't know what I was going to do after I graduated. I realized that like my decision to go to college about being a biochemistry major was completely flawed because you can't do anything with a biochemistry degree unless you go to medical school or graduate school. So I realized that when I was graduating, I was like, oh, shoot, like I got to get a job um, now and I'm completely unemployable unless I get a post-secondary degree. And so then at that point, I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to have to apply to uh, the next stage. And I said, you know, medical school was far too expensive. And in graduate school, they pay you to go to graduate school. 
And that's what I did again. So I applied to a bunch of different graduates. Oh, that is, <laughs> and that I, is really cool. And, I, and I'm glad that I got somebody who's like me. Because when I got done with undergrad, I started looking at the job opportunities. I was like, ooh, I don't really want to do any of these. And they're not, they're not exactly what I got excited about going to school for. I'm like, I'm going to get this master's real quick. Uh, uh, totally the same way. Because it stopped people... It stopped people from asking the question, what are you about to do? So it gave, it gave me a couple more years. At that time, I thought I was going to, uh, I went to Willamette and thought I was going to do the MBA JD program because I was going to be this cool, uh, this cool lawyer like Jack McCoy off Law and Order or like Matlock or something <laughs> like that. Uh, but, I, but, I, but I stayed away from the law school and just did the business school. And, and you decided that, hey, uh, because I'm, I'm bored, let me go to John Hopkins uh, one of the premier uh, uh, medical institutions in the world, and let me go get a PhD and 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 study uh, a novel cell penetrating peptide for application in tumor immunotherapy. That sounds really cool. <laughs> Thanks, I, and I'm assuming it is. I, it sounds. It cool. is actually pretty so cool, even if it's not cool. Just tell me it's cool. It is actually, it sounds you know, it is actually pretty cool. And I just, I will push back on the characterization that I was bored the whole time. The whole time I was just trying to survive. <laughs> but yeah, I, so I went to Hopkins and, you know, I, I took some immunology classes in, um, in uh, college and they were really interesting. And then I ended up in a lab where we actually just worked on developing a lot of um, vaccines uh, and all sorts, like the lab that I worked in, it was pretty cool in the fact that they were just like, were trying all sorts of things. There was like ways of using lasers. I didn't get to get, use a laser. That was only for like for special people in the lab. So I didn't get to use like the laser, but I got okay, to- where, <laughs> I, where do I sign up? Where, I know. Where, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm working on a PhD, but I can, I can transfer. You tell me there's lasers involved. Uh, you got me. Yeah, that uh, was. I was thinking that when when I when I when I read about what your thesis was on, I was like, "There's got to be a laser involved. How do I get to it? And 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 where is it at? Because that sounds very cool." But go ahead. Keep, no, it's uh, it's disappointing because my part didn't have the laser. Mine was actually uh, using a peptide, which is a small protein, to be able to bring other um, proteins into cells. So it was like a, almost like a carrier into cells and being able to get those cells to then attack cancer. Cause that's one of the big things in, um, in cancer proliferation is that your body thinks it's just your body, which is why your immune system doesn't attack it. So a lot of the immune immunotherapy is around trying to get your body to attack the cancer cells as if it was like a virus or a bacteria. Um, so that was the work that I was in. And now like people think that in the last year has been kind of interesting because uh, I've been getting a lot of vaccine questions. Um, and yeah, my immunology degree, I haven't used it in the last 10 years, except for a lot of questions in this last year. Yes. You know, we're not going to go to, you know, Fauci or CDC or anything like that. We're going. We're going straight to you, because uh, we we know you have the the answers. And and what I do want to make sure to highlight about your story, which I, which I think is fantastic. I I know I joke around by by saying you were just bored. You just said, "Ho hum, let me do biochemistry and immunology." But that I know that was not the, the case at all. But what I I do like is that you talked about how you know you you weren't good at certain science classes in high school. You know, and it wasn't easy. But even though it wasn't easy, 
you still push forward with it. I think so often, especially when when students of color uh, go to PWIs in particular, we are always pushed to to go to what they call easier majors are are the soft sciences versus the hard sciences. And uh, just because something is hard doesn't mean that it's not worth doing and that you can't work hard and persevere to do it. I had to fight that as somebody who played football. Uh, They didn't want me to be in a particular major, which was business. It's like, oh, it's going to be too hard. It's going to take too much time. and You have to concentrate on football. See, I didn't get a scholarship. I was a walk-on. So I told them if they want me to change my major, they need to give me a scholarship and I'll major in whatever they want. Um, but far too many students are going to, and I, and I say uh, PWIs, predominantly white institutions, um, because often that level of support to say, hey, you have an interest in this. Let me find out how I can support you versus how I can just discourage you from from jumping into that field. Uh, did you feel any of that in your time? Or have you seen some of that in your work with, with Mesa that, that students are maybe telling you that other folks may be encouraging them not to do some things that may be hard for them? Yeah, I definitely see that. I will say that, and I definitely want to acknowledge it. I think there's this complicated aspect of being Asian um, and uh, in the sciences where there's, um, so I, first of all, it, I see that a lot with a lot of the um, underrepresented students of color that we work with, where it's like we just in general in society don't hold them to um, high enough standards because it's like, oh, well, you know, it, it's okay if they like do something less. That's what the society is saying. And I mean, I think that that's ridiculous because yeah, it's just ridiculous. What is, what is the reason? There's no reason. Cause there's so just so much like, you know, historical oppression and, um, and bias that's all tied into that. I would say that in my experience as, um, someone who's Asian in the STEM field, sometimes it's the opposite where, you know, I think some of my interests actually fell more into the soft sciences, but, you know, I was discouraged a lot to go into soft, like, I was discouraged to go into some of the works that was more like the A part of STEAM, um, where a lot of my interests lie because it's like um, my English was never going to be as good as someone who was a native born speaker. My way to communicate is never going to be as competitive as someone who's going to be, um, you know, a native born um, speaker and writer. And so I was really discouraged. I think more like, oh, well, you know, you're Asian, so you must be good at math and science, so you should do this. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of my like personal experience in that, but I've certainly seen for underrepresented students of color that it goes the opposite, where it's like you're not pushed for the hard science classes. No, yes, I definitely understand that. And, and that's why I think your your story is, is definitely one that, that needs to be heard, is that there are there's so many ways uh, and there's, you know, a lot of inter- 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 uh, intersectionality of, of different things. And there's, and there's a lot of pieces that are involved in that. And so folks need to see the, the entire story and the entire spectrum. And, and I, I really appreciate you, you taking the time to, to share your story. Now, speaking of that, um, instead of being in a lab somewhere, uh, uh, actually d- developing one of these uh, vaccines or helping with some new immunotherapies. You, 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 you turned in the lab coat uh, for, uh, for the nonprofit world. Uh, so, so what, 
what what brought you over to to Oregon Mesa? And then we could talk more about the the cool things uh, Oregon Mesa is doing. And full disclosure, when I was younger, I used to I said this when I brought in Saturday Academy for for an earlier one. Uh, I always wanted to do Mesa, but it wasn't at my school at the time. And so all those things, you'd be like, man, why can't I do any of these things? And now all the kids now are getting all the cool stuff. And so I'm like, man, I wanted some of those cool things to be involved in some of this. I might have did some things uh, differently, but I am glad that that they're uh, getting access to these things now. And more people are getting access to them than, than have ever been before, which is fantastic. So so tell us how you, what, what made you say, I'm, I'm turning the lab coat, I'm coming into Mesa. That's where, that's the work I want to do. Well, Jervez, it's not too late. So you're you're welcome at Mesa in any capacity that you would like to be in. We definitely welcome you in. Um, uh, yeah, well, I'm, I've been trying to put some stuff together. That's why I don't shop at Ikea, because I can't put together <laughs> one set of, of anything. So, uh, and, and like we, we joked about before, you know, I used to do the audio mixing for this show, and it, it took me so long to do it. I was like, yeah, I'm going to let the professionals handle this mixing. So I know just enough tech and science and stuff to get in trouble. Uh, oh, that's the best so part. I, 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 joke, I joke that I'm like Tim, the tool man Taylor off of Home Improvement yeah. trying to fix stuff. I'm like, let me, I'll let the professionals do that. I'll just try to encourage the kids to come and hang out. But let me uh, let them handle that stuff. But go ahead. How did you, how did, how, how did you get involved here? How, how did you know to make the move from uh, from that line of work to, to hanging out in this in this nonprofit space. Yeah, well, uh, I appreciate the space. To be honest, um, I was so I was in um, you know academia and I was doing academic research, and it wasn't very far in when I realized that it's not that the work was necessarily not what I wanted to do, but the it's not to put on blast anybody. Um, specifically in the areas that I was working in, but gener- don't worry, there's nobody listening, but just me, you, <laughs> okay, and the other few hundred people that might be. Of course, to this. And no, it's not going to get back to anybody. So, sure, uh, uh, you know, feel free. But I think that just you know, it, it, this is not coming. Um, this is not just from my own experience. It was really hard for me to be a young woman in, um, in academia. Um, and a lot of that had to do with my own issue. It's just, I was, I, the imposter syndrome stuff, the, like, I never felt like I was good enough. I never felt like, especially honestly at Johns Hopkins, like they, sh- they like shove you down your throat that like you're working with Nobel la- laureates. And, you know, I like had classes with Nobel laureates and I had, you know, people had like, in, you know, just invented everything, discovered everything. And, um, and so that was a lot of confidence that, you know, made me feel, you know, extra tense, but then there was a lot of, you know, now I realize there were not just microaggressions, outright sexism. Um, I remember, I will just say like in different, um, different professors that I worked with and everything where being, you know, being a woman and, you know, for instance, getting married, um, was seen as being okay, but, you know, I should never consider having children because that would derail my PhD career. And that was like blatantly Mm. said to me. And that wasn't the only time that I experienced that. That was also something that a lot of my colleagues who were in, um, 
in uh, my field who are my same age also experience. And so those things that like now I realize as I'm older and I've like understand these things were completely not acceptable. Um, you know, obviously after a while took their toll. I remember even at my, um, my defense at my, um, not my thesis defense, but like an oral board ex- defense, um, the question they asked me was like, what I, what would I do with a million dollars? And my, my answer to that and what led, led them me to Mesa, obviously is like, I said about investing in education. I thought education was the most important thing if I had a million dollars and they kind of give me this sort of condescending answer. They were like, well, no, we mean in terms of research. I was like, well, that's not what you asked me. You asked me what I would do with a million dollars. And then, you know, and that would have been a sort of innocuous comment, except for at the end of it, that was one of the reasons they considered not passing me for the graduate. They ultimately, they did pass me, but they wanted to have a very long talk with me about the fact about, did I really want this enough? Did I really want- I'm glad they didn't ask me. I'm sure you would have been really candid. I'd have been like, let me hit these student loans off. I need to make a down payment on this house. Uh, let me see. <laughs> I, you know, I need to get these rims on this uh, on this vehicle. I need to put some hydraulics on it really quick. I'm gonna get some money to the kids. Well, let me let me pay some of this stuff. Let me pay some of this debt off first, and then we, we'll we'll get to the kids uh, here in a minute. Uh, but man, I, I I really feel that, and that's it's amazing. Uh, I I I call it you know academic hazing. Yeah, uh, I've I've been there and. When I interviewed for uh, some other PhD programs and doctoral programs, when I told them some of the things I was interested in researching, the response I got was, hey, it might be easier for you to get through the process if you pick something that uh, that impacted more people. Mm-hmm. In short, because I wanted to do some things that impacted uh, that, that research, the Black mm-hmm. community specifically. Mm-hmm. The fact that I wanted to research some things that impacted Black people, it became a problem. Wow. So it was, you know, I could, you know, BIPOC or, you know, what about other things? And, you know, uh, well, and then the other part was, oh, well, we don't really have the expertise in that to, uh, to, to really help you. And I'm like, that's the point is that there isn't a lot of research out there, which right. is why I want to research that. So, uh, I, I get that. And that's why I said earlier about the intersectionality is on, on, on one hand, because because your 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 Asian people are pushing you into the science. Like, hey, do the science stuff. Uh, you're Asian. Do the science. Yeah. Stuff. But hey, you're a woman. Nah, you know, is this science stuff really for you? <laughs> yes. You know, are you are you really committed to it? Because none of them have kids. Right. Like none of the people who were doing that. Or they have people uh, who take care of their kids. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you're a Nobel laureate, you know you get a few dollars for Nobel. You should have somebody uh, be able to you know pay for some of that. But that's the thing that I, I guarantee you they weren't asking that question to any of the males yeah. or you know those who identified as 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 male as a part of their process and questioning whether they really wanted it and those kind of things. So uh, I, I appreciate you bringing that that up because we we don't we don't live in a binary world. It is very complex. It's layers, and we have multiple layers of identity. So it's not just that, like you're you you being Asian or you being Chinese isn't your, the only thing that makes up your identity, right? You know, so to see that even within those multiple areas that make up your identity, there are often barriers, especially as it relates to STEM. Uh, 
the fact that they would even ask you that would be is is and that's why I said I stopped using the term microaggressions because it makes people feel uh, feel a little bit better about the stuff that they're doing, uh, even what folks are doing now by opposing critical race theory and opposing the nineteen the sixteen nineteen project. Mm-hmm. Like it's now more it's now seen as racist to call out racism. Like, yeah, you're being racist because you called it out. You know, you're you're being sexist because you called out something about sexism, huh? That that's not how this works. Um, but yeah, so, so so you had that happen. It wasn't feeling, and then you're like, hey, I'm going to Mesa. Skip you guys. I'm taking my million dollars over to Mesa. <laughs> yeah, no, there was a there was some or there was another organization in between that. So I will say that I ended up, you know, at that time, just realizing yeah. that I was, that was a that was that was Thread, yes, right? Yes, that was at Thread, and I ended up yeah. working at a nonprofit because I was and I and I think at that time it was always. You know, when they, when that question. Yes, I'm all in your business. I know I'm, I'm all in your story. Tell good, me good. I appreciate that. Forgive me later. No, no, I appreciate that. <laughs> no, I just, you know, to that question about, you know, sort of my motivations really did actually make me think more about like, well, you know, you know, they're kind of right. Maybe this isn't what I wanted. And I ended up looking more at um, nonprofit work because it was always something I really cared about, you know, like wanting to be more involved in community. And um, that's when I got involved in Thread. And then um, after that time, you know, I moved actually back to Oregon because I was actually feeling a little bit more um, burnt out and I want to be closer to family. And um, when I came back to Oregon, I found out about Oregon Mesa, which I didn't know about when I was growing up here either. And, um, the, it was like a perfect alignment. It's exactly, it was my answer to the million dollar question because I wanted, I always felt really deeply about STEM education. I always felt like, you know, we haven't done enough to like make STEM and STEAM education, like a part of everyday life. Like, why is it always something that's separate? Um, I think in my experience in doing sciences. And, you know, I always felt like, you know, it was very interdisciplinary. And I always felt like, you know, especially with my lack of confidence in doing it, I felt like, honestly, a lot of it was just brute force where I just worked, you know, and that's the sort of myth of meritocracy. But like, I worked really hard at it. I didn't think I naturally really had any like science or math inclinations. So I felt like, you know, a lot of students like were probably similar to me where if they had the opportunity to kind of explore their interests, that a lot more people would actually be interested in it. And I think I was equally motivated by Mesa's mission of working with underrepresented students just based on in my own experience as being a young woman. But, you know, in my class, there were no black or brown folks in my um, in my uh, PhD cohort or even like maybe uh, a couple years each way. Um, and, you know, I just, I was like, you know, if there was experience that I went through as an Asian woman, what is it like if I was, you know, a black woman, what would it have been like? Um, and I've now since talked to so many people now, um, who were like the first black, uh, person who received, uh, you know, a PhD at their, at their school, like last year, you know, like that's ridiculous. <laughs> if a school has been around, you know, that long and, you know, this now 2020 or whatever is the first time that that has happened is just outrageous. So, um, yeah, it was just really aligned to my, what I care about. And I felt like maybe I had some things to contribute to it. And that's what I had. That's how I ended up here. 
Okay. Well, we're going to talk some more about it. First, I need to take a quick break here and say that this episode of In the Numbers podcast is sponsored again by STEM Week Oregon. STEM Week Oregon, May 8th through the 16th is the seventh annual uh, statewide movement to raise awareness, celebrate, and engage in activities involving science, technology, engineering, art, and math. This year, they're thrilled to sponsor with Remake Learning Days Across America. Please make sure you go to the website, stemoregon.org slash stemweek2021. Make sure you're using the hashtag, hashtag stemweekoregon2021, and check out the website for a variety of opportunities for daily prizes, presentations, interactive events all across the state. So please feel free to go to that website again, stemoregon.org slash stemweek2021. Now, one thing, you know, uh, we talked about if you have a million dollars, just go ahead and give it to Oregon Mesa. There they go. Uh, you can go right to their website, OregonMesa.org. There's a donate button. Just drop the million right there. So uh, uh, we're, they're, they're definitely happy to do that. I do want to make sure that I I shot this out, is that uh, we I did the sponsor read about, uh, about STEM week, but it's really kind of STEM month across the state. Where every where STEM is being celebrated, and uh, Mesa Day is coming up. Uh, if I if I am wrong, I believe Mesa Day for twenty twenty one is May eighteenth through the twentieth. Yes, you got that correct. Okay, it's May eighteenth through the twentieth. There is some opportunities for volunteer registration. So if you want to volunteer, there are some some student teams stuff. We're going to talk about more about. Uh, what Mesa does and then about Mesa Day specifically. But I want to make sure I got that in. Mesa Day is a, a three-day virtual event, May 18th through May 20th uh, from 4.30 p.m. to 6 p.m. Volunteer opportunities are available. And if you have any questions, uh, you need to email the program coordinator at uh, bchacamp at pdx.edu are going to the website, OregonMesa.org. So I uh, want to make sure to get that out there. And tell us about Oregon Mesa. Tell, tell the people what it is. You, we, we went through your journey to get here. Now you're here. Uh, tell, tell the people about Oregon Mesa, what it does, uh, how, it, how it impacts youth, and how you're really trying to make a difference in those underrepresented communities uh, when it comes to, to STEM. Yeah, and thanks for that plug for Mesa Day. Um, I have to say, Mesa is actually really—it's pretty special. It's—it's um, it's a model that actually started in—we're uh, actually celebrating our fiftieth anniversary nationwide. It started as a movement in um, at the end of the civil rights movement. Um, in 1970, where uh, there was some um, educators at Berkeley and partnered with Oakland Technical High School, where really they discovered, they're realizing at that time, there are like no um, engineers of color and we do not have enough diversity coming through um, our uh, engineering programs. And so they are like, we need to do more outreach. Let's do something about it. And so the model's always been partnering with a teacher at um at that time, it was a high school uh, to do more. It was academic support. It was a lot of sort of uh, really uh, exposing students to college and career um, 
opportunities and um, that teacher being the conduit um, for the students. So Oregon Mesa started actually in 1985 um, and it was initiative led by the um, the superintendent um, of the schools at that time in Portland Public, um, Matt Profits. And um, and he went down to, uh, to uh, they went down to um, California and tried to, it, tried to invite folks to come up so that they could adopt a model. And it started as a partnership between Portland Public Schools and, um, and uh, Portland State University, but it was mainly based at Portland Schools. And it was really used as a way to get more, uh, more science and math opportunities to students of color in 1985. Um, and that was uh, led by, at that time, um, our first executive director was Renee Anderson, um, and she's now still um, involved with Mesa. So I'm so glad to have gotten her involved more recently. But really, our goal is really uh, providing teachers with the um, training and the resources to support underserved middle and high school students to excel in STEM. So we do that actually through uh, invention education. We've been doing that over the last uh, 10 years. So the model of MESA is, like I said, working with teachers, but our curriculum, especially in Oregon, has changed in the last um, decade by really adopting much more human-centered design and invention. And so students are doing super cool things where they are interviewing clients and taking it all the way from interviewing a client, understanding their needs, all the way to creating a working prototype to that address that um, client's needs. Um, and so the last, uh, this last year, our theme has been La Familia because um, our client theme has been La Familia because kids are stuck at home. So they don't have a lot of other clients that they can interview. So they're interviewing folks in their family. But the greater national um challenge is around designing for equity. So the students are also understanding, you know, what are sort of the barriers that their family members are experiencing in their, in their everyday lives? Are there things that they can create and develop um, that can address those concerns? So I think it's, I think it's what's so powerful about Mesa is that what we're, what we're doing is um, putting the power with students themselves, like they, it's student led, they're creating the projects and our teachers are really facilitators in the classroom and they're facilitating these things happening. But the ideas come from the, the students. It's not like a teacher coming to them like, oh, you need to do these projects. It's like, what is interesting to students? And then they're able to bring their own cultural reference. They're able to bring their backgrounds. They're able to bring what they're interested in into the projects. Um, and we get some just really cool perspectives um, from students. And I think it really just makes them competitive too because uh, being able to understand client needs is going to, regardless of if you go into like STEM fields, STEAM fields in the future, or if you go into business, if you go into, you know, arts, it you're going, it's going to be important to understand what clients want um, and what they need. And so that's like the core program. And then we have college and career trips. We have um, family nights where we uh, engage uh, the whole family in um, programs where we provide them more information about college and careers. We get like the little ones, like right now we work with middle and high schools, but uh, at our family nights, we have like five-year-olds coming, five-year-old siblings coming too, and they're doing, you know, like STEM activities together. So that way it's just also because a lot of our students are first-generation college students that their whole family can understand a little bit more value of like STEM education. What can this lead to in the future. Um, we also do individualized phone calls to all of the 
family members that we have. So like this last year, we've been making like hundreds, I mean, like hundreds and hundreds of phone calls um, pretty regularly to connect with families and to like see what how they're doing, getting them kind of equipment that they need, getting them supplies directly to their families. Um, and then we also have uh, college mentors who go into classrooms to provide a more near peer mentorship. And then, yeah, and then we finally have the, the competitions that the students participate in. And it's really cool because, you know, the uh, they get to compete uh, to not just win cool prizes, but then they, you know, get to compete to be the state winners for, for Oregon and represent us at the national competition. Um, so that's a kind of a, a general overview of Mesa. No, that's fantastic. Usually, you know, I would stop everything because you said our, our number of the day, which is 1985. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I have to do it, you know, Pee Wee Herman style where the, you know, the number of the day and everybody says la 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 or something like that. But uh, we're not we're not going to do that today. I was going to. But no, that is amazing. And I like it because we you are helping to create. Uh, and we had this conversation just offline in the past about, you know, how do we create more uh, instead of necessarily creating consumers, uh, how do we create, how do we make creators Yeah, and folks that want to create stuff and have those questions? Uh, you know, some of it we will, will be by talking to a client, but even their, their, their own ideas. And, you know, had this uh, conversation with my, my daughter who is eight years old and her teacher gave her an assignment that if you could create an app, what would you create? And it made her really think it's like not just playing what someone else develops, but how do you develop some things? You know, it's not just saying, hey, I'm going to make this, even make something, but how can I make something that that they might not know that they need that might meet their needs even better than what's already out there? And I think that that is fantastic that you do that. And you have the the showcase where you where you where where they, they showcase a lot of this stuff and if, if people haven't been to it, I recommend that they uh, that they they check that they check it out. Uh, um, for for those who are in uh, for those for those who are in industry, you have an opportunity to to volunteer, and uh, you can volunteer for Mesa Day. Uh, you can volunteer for some of the the, the team leads on college and, and career fairs. I mean, there's there's all types of opportunities. And then I believe, uh, I don't know if there's still room for this. I believe you, but you all probably have your, your, your folks already, but you can actually judge the competitions. There is a, a, a student project around national uh, engineering design competition that some students are involved, going to be involved in this year. Is that correct? Yes. And as well as the Mesa day. Yes. So there's a couple of different um, challenges that we have going on. And even though everything is virtual, the students are still participating in this. Um, they're submitting videos and design briefs and everything. So we just de- de- definitely need uh, judges. So we would love to have more judges um, participate in that. Yeah, so take a few minutes and, and judge one of these competitions. Um, and I know we have some conversations at some point, I'm going to have some type of uh, either competition or pitch fest or something specific for for East County students. 
And I know we've had some preliminary conversations about that. Maybe yeah. there's some, some partnership opportunities in there because um, we want to break some of these. But but the students who are involved in these county are going to be involved in these in these uh, in these opportunities and these projects. And so anything that we do have is never anything that replaces any of this cool stuff. Uh, we're trying to actually get more students engaged in some of that stuff uh, so that they have more practice either in uh, in the in the fall or maybe even in early winter. So when these competitions and uh, and things are happening in May for them, these happen every year. So uh, we want to make sure that, that in particular our students in East County have us have as much practice as possible with with getting in front of people and presenting their their research or their findings and and and, and making pitches of, of that sort. Uh, but these are fantastic and they're great opportunities for people to volunteer. So if you don't have that million dollars uh, <laughs> that we were discussing earlier, you can have a little bit of time and a little bit of time goes a long way. You may even find maybe you want to turn in that lab coat and uh, and, uh, and hang out more at uh, at Oregon Mesa. That may be something that that that, that happens. We're not going to encourage it. We're just letting you know there's a possibility. Once you start doing something that's fulfilling, it's hard to it's hard to put it away. Um, are there some some things you want to share with people? We're we're, we're close to our time. Like it, it's amazing how fast uh, how fast an hour goes when you're just having a conversation. And, there's some stuff we didn't even touch on yet, which only means that uh, we're going to have to have you back uh, to talk more about some of those things. And then we're also probably going to have to find a way uh, uh, to, to sneak Robin on. Oh, yeah. Because uh, I know she's been hiding from me. So uh, we're going to find a way to, to to sneak Robin, your assistant director, on to talk about uh, some of the various cool things you all are doing and some of the things that are happening in East County specifically. So we have, don't worry, we have definitely other episodes to get deeper into some of those things. But if there's some things you want people to think about, um, whether it's about what what Mesa has going on or about uh, encouraging uh, underrepresented students to to engage in STEM or uh, those who may be thinking about a career change from the the quote-unquote hard sciences or the, the, the laboratory piece of STEM to to the nonprofit world of STEM. Anything you want people to think about or yeah. share with folks? Anything at all? Yes. Floor is yours. Yeah. Well, Robin's our, um, our um, regional coordinator for based at Mount Hood Community College. And um, I think one thing I definitely want to share with you, I think I mentioned that Mesa was in, uh, started at, um, at Portland Public Schools, but uh, obviously we're in schools and all the school districts in East um, Multnomah County. And uh, now we're in like 13 to 15 school districts um, statewide. So I think being able to get Mesa into schools is something we're definitely interested in. So if there is, you know, a school that is in your area, the predominantly, the most um, important part is that to qualify for being a Mesa school, more than half of the students at your school um, have to qualify for free or reduced lunch. Um, so that's one of the major uh, qualifications. But if that fits um, and you're interested in starting a Mesa chapter, we just love to be connected to a teacher. So that's always one thing that we're um, we're hoping to get Mesa in front of more people. I think also just, I so appreciate, Jarvis, you were mentioning so many other of the opportunities is like Mesa is an ecosystem. So we're a program, but so much more, it's like we have industry involved, we have families, we have nonprofits and everything. So there's lots of ways to 
be involved in this work. Honestly, we're getting more involved in advocacy as well so that we can really um, kind of advocate for the advocate for the interests of underrepresented students and families at a larger level too, where we can be able to um, uh, get more true equitable outcomes um, in education. Because I think we've been talking about it for a long time, but really not necessarily always getting the outcomes that we've been hoping about. Like I mentioned, Mesa is 50 years old. I don't think the mission for Mesa is to survive forever. The goal is that we become obsolete because there is equity that's been achieved. So I think that I would really, really want everybody to keep that in their head that this has honestly the fact that, you know, there is still not representation um, for students of color, for girls, for low-income students in STEM fields. Like that doesn't need to happen. There's actually things we can all do. Um, And if you want to partner in that, contact me and let's talk about it because um, I think if we all work on it together, not just talk about it, but actually propose policies, propose practices that we can all do um, that we can actually, you know, make a program like Mesa obsolete so that we don't have to continue fighting for equity because we would have achieved it. Well, you know, you just said it all right there. We're going to just drop the mic. And end it right there because that was fantastic. Everybody give a big Thank round you. of applause for Dr. Hong Jung. Did I say it right? That's pretty close, yeah. Uh, I'm gonna get there. That's uh, okay. I'm gonna get there. So um, so uh executive director of Oregon Mesa. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you for your continued partnership as you as you work with us at the East Metro STEAM Partnership and for allowing Robin to work with us. Uh, we really appreciate you, you doing that. And there's a lot of really cool things going on in East County. But make sure you visit their website. That is Oregon Mesa, Oregon M-E-S-A, in case you don't understand, Mesa, uh, uh, OregonMesa.org. And make sure you are checking out uh, Mesa Day, which is May 18th through May 20th. It's a three-day event. You definitely don't want to miss it. Thank you again, good doctor, for being with us today. And we are excited to be partnering with you. And to everyone, make sure that you hang out and keep everything in the numbers. So we appreciate you hanging out with us out here. Uh, Make sure you're checking out the websites. Make sure you're partnering. Make sure you're helping a young person engage in STEM. Thank you and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. 